0: Welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. As you know, whatever we do for the Lord, whether it's planting a church up in Seattle, whether it's serving Him right here in Vancouver, BC, it requires faith. It requires believing that what God has said He will do And there are people throughout the Bible that are great examples of faith. People like uh, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Elijah, people that did incredible things for God because they had absolute faith and trust that what God had said he would do. But then there are other people, like the man we're going to look at his life this morning by the name of Jonah, who also, I believe, we'll see had incredible faith in what God said. And yet, despite that faith, he refused to obey God. Take your Bibles and... Turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. And as you're turning there, don't misunderstand me. Jonah did not set an example that we should follow. I think those of you who are familiar with his life understand that. However, as we look at Jonah's life this morning, I want us to see some truths about Jonah's faith that really will encourage us and challenge us in our faith this morning. Jonah chapter 1. And look with me. At verses one and two. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Let's all bow our head, close our eyes, and ask for God's help in the message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you so much for City Baptist Church and the incredible gospel light that they are here up in Vancouver. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that you've given me to take my family down. Just a couple hours down the road to Seattle to do really the same thing that this church is doing. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. And Lord, I thank you so much for this church, for Pastor Connor and just their uh, example, their testimony, their encouragement along the way in doing that. Lord, I pray that you'll help us now in the message this morning to learn some truths from your word that you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. First this morning, let's look at Jonah's responsibility. Jonah was a prophet, and as a prophet, Jonah was responsible really to just open his mouth, and whatever message God gave him, he was supposed to relay that to whoever God told him to. And Jonah had, before we read the story of in the book of Jonah, he had obeyed God. And we won't have him turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 14, the Bible says, He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the plain, According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. So Jonah had obeyed God before, but in Jonah 1, God gives Jonah a unique responsibility. And Jonah's response was a little bit different. We read verses 1 and 2, but let's look at Jonah's response here in verse 3. The Bible says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's sitting here, and he's God tells him, I want you to get up, go to Nineveh, that wicked city, cry against it. We'll see in a little bit that God had told Jonah that within 40 days, Nineveh was going to be overthrown, wiped off the map, completely destroyed. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go tell them and warn them that this is going to happen and jonah says no god said i want you to get up and go to nineveh instead jonah gets on a ship in joppa heading the complete opposite direction to a town called tarshish he says you know what there's no way in the world i'm going to obey what god told me to do and a lot of times we can be kind of hard on jonah for that but aren't we all kind of disobedient at times i have a two-year-old son and if you get a chance to meet austin he is, in my completely subjective biased opinion, the best little kid on this planet. But if you spend about five minutes with him, you will realize that he is a little sinner. I mean, you tell him to do something and he disobeys, he throws a fit. I mean, he, he's a sinner and we all are. We all disobey God. We all do things that we're not supposed to do. And that's what Jonah's doing here. God gives him a command. He goes the complete opposite direction. But beyond what... If you were to look in the Bible, especially in um, the books of 2 Kings and Second Chronicles, you'll see why Jonah might have been a little bit apprehensive to obey what God told him to do. Nineveh was a wicked city. Not only were they a wicked city, but they were sworn enemies of J- Jonah's people of Israel. The Bible tells stories about a man named Sennacherib who came from uh, Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. He surrounded the city of Jerusalem and horrible, horrible things taking place. And God really had to do a miracle at the last minute to spare Judah from falling to Sennacherib. Later, the same nation of Assyria would come down to the northern ten tribes of Israel and did carry them away into captivity. So you can tell just Jonah being an Israelite, these were his enemies. And then history goes on to tell us that they were just a horrible, wicked, sadistic, cruel people. And so Jonah, you can understand, might have been a little bit scared to obey god well see that's not It wasn't because he was scared that's not why he chose to disobey but look with me next at jonah's reckoning in verse four the bible says but the lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken jonah gets on a boat he's sailing from joppa to tarshish and suddenly a storm comes up and the storm was pretty bad the mariners people that their livelihood was here on the ship, were scared out of their minds. They start taking everything on the ship, throwing it overboard, trying to lighten the ship so that they don't sink and drown in the Mediterranean Sea. And still they realize there's nothing we can do to save our ship, to save our lives. Finally, as a last ditch effort, they bring everybody on board the ship. Jonah was sleeping at the time, but they brought him up. And they basically make a circle, they cast lots or take a gamble to see who's responsible. And typically I would think that wouldn't work, it's not a good idea, but God allows a lot to fall on Jonah. And the men of the ship look at Jonah and they say, Jonah, is this your fault? Are you the one who's responsible for us being stuck in this storm? And Jonah's honest with him, he says, yes guys, it is my fault. Now the Bible doesn't say this, so I want to be careful, but I think Jonah could have said something like, yes guys, it's my fault, so... If you turn the ship around, take me back to Joppa, drop me off so I can go to Nineveh like I told me to do in the first place, then you'll be just fine. But those of you who know the story, is that what Jonah says? No. Jonah says, yes, guys, it's my fault we're in this storm. So if you want to survive, you're going to take me, you're going to throw me overboard, let me drown in the Mediterranean Sea, and then you'll be just fine. Now, these men on the ship were heathens. They were not Christians or Jews or anything like that. And yet, they actually argued with Jonah at first. They didn't want to throw him overboard, but finally realizing it's either he goes overboard or we all drown, they take him, they throw him overboard. And you probably are familiar with what happens next. Verse 17, the Bible says, Now, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So as Jonah goes overboard, a big fish swallows him. He's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And there, Jonah finally realizes, you know what? There is no escaping what God told me to do. We're going to see, we'll look next at Jonah's revival. And it's not a true revival in his life. It's more like just an act of desperation. He realizes, you know what? I tried to sail away to, to, to Tarshish. That didn't work. I tried to drown myself essentially in the Mediterranean Sea. That didn't work. So I might as well just buckle up and do what God told me to do. Look down at chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Skip down to verse 10. God's response here is, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited. I love that imagery that it paints there. It vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah rose. This time he obeys. He goes to Nineveh, preaches against the city, says, Guys, in 40 days you're going to be overthrown. And then something incredible happens. Remember, Nineveh was a wicked, godless city. They persecuted God's people. They worshipped idols. But for some reason, look at how they respond in verse 5 the bible says so the people of nineveh believed god now i have no idea why they would have listened to this prophet and just immediately believe what he said possibly someone saw this big fish swim up to the shore throw up a guy alive onto the seashore and as he's you know scraping that vomit off you say man i gotta go to nineveh and they beat him there and said hey some guy just got thrown up by a fish onto the sore shore, shore Whatever he says, you better listen to him because it's for real. I don't know why the Bible doesn't say why, but for whatever reason, the people of Nineveh believe hear Jonah's message and they immediately believe it. Let's keep reading verse 5. It says, They proclaimed to fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him. Skip down to verse 9. The king of Nineveh is speaking. He says, Who can tell? If God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. The entire city from the king himself down to the common person plead for God's mercy. They realize, you know what? We are wrong. We are sinful. We are worshiping false idols. So we're going to plead to the one true God. And look how God responds in verse 10. The Bible says, And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. As I read that, that is an incredible miracle that happens. And if, if you were sort of putting yourself in Jonah's shoes, how do you think Jonah would have responded to that? He goes to probably, possibly the wickedest, most, most wicked city in the world in his day Preaches to the city and every single person there hears message plead for God's mercy and God spares the entire city destruction as a result I mean that would be incredible, right? Um, Now the Bible says in the last verse of this book that there were at least 120,000 people in the city The way that it words it there could have been a lot more, but we know there were at least 120,000 people there I try to picture now. I I know we're in Vancouver And I know that y'all are big Canucks fans. I I assume many of you are. I'm not big into hockey, I'll admit. I'm one of those crazy Americans down south, and that's just not my thing. But I love football. And I'm from South Carolina. I'm a big, diehard South Carolina Gamecocks fan. We lost yesterday to Appalachian State, which is a really bad loss. But we won a few weeks ago against Georgia, so we're okay. But anyway, um, in South Carolina, I've been to some football games there. And you walk into the Williams Bryce Stadium where they play, and it is a massive stadium. It See, it's about 85,000 people. And I've walked into that stadium at some football games before, and it's almost like you just look at that mass expanse of humanity, and it's hard to picture how many people are there. And I think Jonah, in three days' time, preached to one of those entire stadiums worth of people and half of another one, and every single one of those people listened to his message and plead for God's mercy and their lives are spared as a result. I don't know if your pastor's ever had a chance to preach to 120,000 people and in three days. I have not. But if I did, I'd probably be excited, man. I'd be up here, and I'm, a, I'm not a very charismatic personality kind of person, but I'd be up here hooting and hollering and just having a good old time if that happened. But how does Jonah respond to that kind of outcome? How does Jonah respond to the people who... Their lives are spared because they listen to his message and plead for God's mercy. Look down at verse 1 and we'll see Jonah's regret. The Bible says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Think about that. The entire city of Nineveh gets right with God, listen to Jonah's message, plead for God's mercy, their lives are spared, and Jonah is furious. Look down at verse 3 and we'll see just how angry he was. The Bible said, or Jonah speaking here, and he says, "Therefore, now, O Lord, take I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." In three days' time, at least one hundred twenty thousand people listen to Jonah's message, plead for God's mercy, and their lives and their city are spared as a result. And Jonah is so angry about that that he says, God, I wish you would have let me die before when I jumped overboard, but since you wouldn't let me die then, would you kill me now? And to be honest with you, I told you at the beginning of this message that it was going to be about Jonah's faith. It's kind of hard to see faith in this guy's life up to this point. I mean, he's a rebel who runs away from God, disobeys God, and then when God uses him to do something incredible, he's furious about it. It's kind of hard to see faith. Until we look at his reasoning, why did Jonah respond this way in chapter 4? Look down at Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. The Bible says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? And by the way, when Jonah's speaking here, he's just bearing his heart to God. He's talking directly to God. He's being completely honest with Him. Look at his reasoning here. He says, Therefore, this is why I fled before unto Tarshish, For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Do you realize that when Jonah tried to run away from God, went to Joppa to find the ship going the complete opposite direction, when he tried to get as far away from God's plan for his life as he could, it wasn't because he was scared that the people of Nineveh might reject his message. It wasn't because he was nervous that the people of Nineveh might torture or execute him or imprison him like they did to many of the Jewish people in his day. The reason that he tried to get as far away from God's plan as he could was that Jonah knew the character of God. Jonah knew the God that he served was a God of grace and a God of mercy. And Jonah knew that his God would be willing to give Nineveh a chance to plead for his mercy, and that if they did, he would spare them. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with that. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to face the wrath of God that they rightfully deserved. He did not want God to use him to to give them a chance, to give them an opportunity to be spared. And as I think about that, it's, it's really hard for me sometimes to wrap my mind around why he would have done that the reality is, though, he hated the people of Nineveh. He wanted them to be destroyed. But now, as, as we've seen the story of Jonah, I want to now turn that around and sort of point that at us. God has given every single one of us a responsibility to our world as well. And it's not necessarily to go to a city like Nineveh. As crazy as Vancouver and Seattle might be, it's, it's not Nineveh. But God has given every single one of us a responsibility as well. First of all, let's see how Jonah's faith was based on his understanding of God. Again, Jonah knew God better than anybody else in his day as a prophet. But how much more can you and I know God than Jonah ever could? We hold in our hands the complete word of God. We have everything that God has for us to know today right here in our hands in the Bible. We can look and we can see truths that God has for us that Jonah may not have even fully understood. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. That's the truth that we can understand. Take your Bible. You can lose your place in Jonah. But turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we'll see again a picture of the grace and the mercy of God that he has uh, that Jonah might not have even fully understood. In Romans chapter 5, look down with me at verse 7. The Bible says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. What is that verse saying? Let me ask you this. Is there someone on this planet that you would willingly, happily, lovingly just lay your life down for if that's what it came to? I think all of us would probably say yes. Let, now, I hope this would never happen, uh, Pastor Connor was explaining some of your, you know, gun laws and things in Canada to me the other day. But let's just use our imagination and say that a gunman were to walk in the back door of the church building and he pointed a gun at me and Leanne and said, one of you is going to die, it's you or it's her. I hope most of you understand, I'm not really sitting here like struggling. Okay, who am I going to choose? You know, <laughs> what what should I do here? What's the right answer for this question? no. Spare my wife and kill me. If that's, if that's the choice it comes down to, that's an easy call to make, right? All of you who are married at least understand that. Now, let's, let's change that a little bit and say they came in and said, okay, it's you or it's Pastor Connor. Now, suddenly the choice gets a lot more difficult. Um, no offense, but, you know, I, I love Pastor Connor. He's been a huge help and encouragement and blessing to me. But I think you all understand my love for him is not quite the same as my love for Leanne, right? It's close, but it's not quite the same thing. I hope I would make the right choice. I hope I would say no, spare his life and all. But, but that would be a little bit more difficult, right? But let's say there were someone else up here like, you know, an Adolf Hitler or Saddam Hussein or, you know, Osama bin Laden, someone like that. And someone walked in and said, okay, one of you is going to die. You or one of them? Now, as easy as maybe it would be to, say, kill me and spare my wife, I think this is just as easy a choice to make, right? Kill him, right? That, that's easy. He's, he's a horrible, you know, murdering millions of people. That's an easy choice to make because these are horrible, wicked people. And I'm certainly not that great of a person, but I'm probably better than Bin Laden, right? I think you all understand that. But what this verse is saying, look down at verse 8. The Bible says, But God commendeth, he showed, he demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As much as I would like to say I'm a lot better person than Adolf Hitler, there's a whole lot greater gap between me and Jesus Christ. Jesus is holy God. He's never sinned, never done one thing wrong. He's eternal God and yet he loved me so much that he came down to this earth 2,000 years ago lived a perfect, sinless life, because the reality is I'm a sinner. I deserve to spend eternity separated from God because of my sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room, every single person on this planet has broken God's laws, we've done things that are wrong, and all of us, therefore, are sinners. The Bible goes on to say that the wages of our sin, the penalty, the punishment, what we deserve for our sin is death, Death there meaning eternal separation from God. That's what every single one of us deserves because of our sin. But God commendeth his love toward us. He loved every single one of us so much that he died on a cross in our place. And now he offers every single one of us the free gift of salvation, if we will simply trust Him and Him alone to be our Savior. A lot of people, and whether it's in Vancouver, Seattle, or South Carolina, have this idea that maybe I can be good enough to get to heaven. Maybe I can uh, impress God with my good works, with the money I give to church, with you know, um, doing any good thing I can think to do. But the reality is, none of that can save us. The Bible says, "For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works." lest any man should boast. You can never save yourself. You can never be good enough to earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross, now offers every single one of us, and he says that all we can do to receive that is to trust him and him alone to be our Savior. And if you've never done that, let today be the day that you do that. It'll change your life. It'll change your eternity. But beyond that, in fact, a couple more verses, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 say, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Second uh, Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is God's heart for every single person on this planet. And let me just tell you, if you have not trusted Christ to be your way to heaven, do that today. But not only that, but Jonah's faith alone was not enough. See, Jonah had the faith. We saw when he spoke to God, Jonah had the faith that God would spare the city of Nineveh if they would get right with him. But Jonah was not willing to do his part in taking that message to them. There's a verse in the Bible that a lot of people may take out of context or misinterpret it, so I'll try to be careful with it. But James 2.17 says, Even so faith... If it hath not works, is dead being alone. That verse has nothing to do with how we're getting to heaven. Uh, the Bible is clear over and over and over again that salvation is by grace, through faith, not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. Here's how that applies, though. Jonah had faith that God would spare the city of Nineveh. He absolutely believed God would do that. But he was not willing to do the work of bringing them that message. He did not want them to hear that message And yet, beyond that, Jonah's refusal to go to Nineveh, despite his faith, reveals a lot about his heart. Jonah knew that if Nineveh would get right with God, God would spare them. You and I can know that we live in a lost and dying world. You live in a city of Vancouver with hundreds of thousands of people who have never one time in their lives heard the message of the gospel. And yet, most of you in here this morning, I I assume, have trusted Christ as your Savior, You know the message of the gospel, and yet we have been given a great commission by Jesus Christ to go and tell every person that we can. And I sort of ask myself, man, how much must Jonah have hated the people of Nineveh to want to do anything he could to keep from giving them that message? But at the same time, how much must I hate those around me to neglect to give them the message of the gospel that could save their souls. Many of you are probably familiar with the magician duo Penn and Teller. Uh, they are down in Las Vegas. And Penn Jillette, who's one half of that, is a f- is he's a very famous magician. He's also an outspoken atheist. It's well known that means he does not believe that there's a God or does not believe in heaven or hell. But one time he was on an airplane. You can look up the video where he says this. Very interesting. He was on an airplane and the man who was sitting next to him looked over and he tried to share the gospel with him. And you would think Penn, being a very famous outspoken atheist, would sort of shoot it down, look down on the guy. But he said this in a video. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That basically meaning a big word for giving the gospel. He says, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it socially awkward. and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He says, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe that a truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you, and this is more important than that. Those are the words of an atheist who understood. If you seriously believe that there is a heaven and hell, if you seriously believe that you have been given the responsibility to give the gospel every opportunity that you can so that people can have a home in heaven, what business do we have keeping that to ourselves? Are we going to be the same, in the same boat as Jonah, a man who knew the truth, who knew the message that could spare their lives, but was going to do everything in his power to avoid that? Or are we going to be obedient to what Jesus Christ commanded us to do and taking that message of the gospel to the world of evil? We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at OneCityBaptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue his